The Lord be with you. Thank you. So before you sit down, which I'm going to have you do in a moment, I want you to turn and look around. If you are mobile, I would like you to go greet someone that you have not greeted today. Shake their hand and say, God loves you. Go do it right now. Mix it up. Greet someone who is a different age than yourself, someone you do not know. Hey, Barb. There's a pew over there. No one's being greeted. Go over and greet them. Yeah, that's good. Okay, that's enough greeting. We don't want people to think we're friendly here. You remember last week, I am capable. I am capable. Our gospel today, which is very brief, Uh, takes place in the upper room where Jesus and the disciples are sharing what we've come to term the Last Supper. We'll be celebrating that today with the Lord's Supper. During this meal, Jesus removes his outer garment and wraps himself in a towel which he uses to dry the feet of his disciples, which he had just washed. Now the context for what we are about to hear in the gospel lesson is very important because in the gospel, as you will soon hear, Jesus gives his followers a new commandment which he expects them to follow. And in this commandment, he uses a word which gets bandied about a lot but often has no precise definition. Through his actions, Jesus gives us a visual demonstration of what this word means, or at least is supposed to mean, for his followers. By doing a simple task that was relegated to servants and slaves in the Jewish culture, Jesus gives a pattern that he expects all of his followers to follow, a pattern that will set them apart from the rest of the world. We're going to be talking about this for just a bit in the message today. But first, the gospel of the Lord. As you are able, please rise for the reading of the gospel, which is found today in John, the 13th chapter, beginning at the 34th verse. Our Lord Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated.
Well, as we come to the final installment of this sermon series on missing ministries, we come to the matter of incorporation. Incorporation. A word that means to include something as part of the whole. When it comes to churches, the term refers to making outsiders part of the body by first baptizing them into the body of Christ, by indoctrinating them into the teachings of the church, and finally, and here's the critical finally, by including them in every level and activity that the church is about. In other words, when it comes to the church, incorporation means to make outsiders one with us in all that we do and say as full partners in the life we share as Christians. In a very real way, incorporation is the fullest goal of the two-step dance we've been talking about for the last three weeks, the two-step dance of disciple-making that Jesus commanded us not suggested that, but commanded us to be about. If you recall, the first step is taking the message of Jesus Christ into the world where we live out our daily lives with the invitation to people to come, be a part of what we're about in Jesus Christ. That's the first step. Us going into the world to represent him. And in this first step, we go out into the world with the intent of demonstrating what Christ is about with the hope that as people see our lives and hear the message we bring, they'll want to be a part of what Jesus, of who Jesus is. The second step has to do with what we do with the people who come to our door in response to the invitation we give. Now, last week we talked about how we greet the visitors and strangers who come to our door with the hope that as we greet them, they will want to tarry and stay and become disciples. But this was just the beginning. Remember, the goal of evangelism, let's read it together, is not to get people to come to church. Let's say it. The goal of evangelism is not to get people to come to church. Now, how counterintuitive is that? The goal, and let's read it together, is... Well, slide, next. The goal is to, for people to become church. To become church. Our job is not ended when they come and sit. That's just the beginning. The goal is for them to be transformed into living representatives of Jesus Christ, whose body is the church. We are the church, the body of Christ on earth today his hands, his feet, his voice, going into the world with the great news that God wants you eternally to be reflecting him. I think that's doggone cool, don't you? 
The goal of evangelism is not to get people to come to church. The goal is for people to become church, which means replicating disciples who are fully engaged in all that that means. To be a disciple, which means living the marks that I have been talking about for the last year and a half of my ministry here, that on both a personal and a corporate level, you are a worshiper of God that you are a constant student of the Word of God, the Bible, that you fellowship with other believers on a social level, that you live in service to one another, that you are doing outreach as you go into the world. These are the five marks of discipleship that every healthy disciple of Jesus Christ should be exhibiting in their life. And as we make disciples, we, the men and women who are already disciples, we should be coming alongside one another, especially coming alongside newcomers and the less connected that we notice in the body and inviting them to come further and further into the inner core of everything the church is about. Everything. Remember what I said last week. It is not the responsibility of the newcomer to build bridges of access to the life of the congregation. It is the responsibility of those who are already a part of Christ's body to build bridges of access to them, to actively woo them into the inner life of the congregation at every level. Now this is the heart of incorporation. I want us to repeat it together. Together, it is not the responsibility of the newcomer or the less connected member to build bridges of access into the fuller life of the congregation. It is the responsibility to actively woo them into the inner life of the congregation at every level. It's not their job to make their, their way into the life of the congregation. It is our job to be reaching out to them and woo them in. And herein is where a lot of congregations fail. For with the passage of time, as a church grows and ages, the tendency of most congregations is to develop rings of access to the inner life of the congregation. Rings that, if they are not kept permeable, now there's a great word, it means to be penetrable, porous, easily passed through. If these rings are not kept permeable, barriers rather than bridges to the newcomer or to the less connected member of the church form where only certain people are allowed in. People who know people people who understand how things around here work, where the connections are, people who get the word when plans are being made, people who understand the jargon, the shorthand of words and phrases and communication, while the rest are kept at the outer ring. Now, rarely is this done on purpose in a church, but it happens. 
And the truth is, the longer a church exists, the more likely there will be these rings of influence, of power, of main players that unintentionally send signals to, to others. You can participate this far. But beyond this point, positions are filled, need not apply. Thank you. Barb and I used to attend a church where the music ministry was like that. This church had a number of musical teams, teams that would rotate service, leading worship for a week or two or maybe three, and then another team would follow for a few Sundays and, and so forth. And the question was asked by a newcomer, how do I get on a team? Well, you know what? It was next to impossible. Why? Because the teams had been in place for years and were comprised of people who had known each other for years, and frankly, they were so into themselves, they didn't really want to extend the invitation for others to come and disrupt their little team. They were not all that interested in pulling people in. So there was this barrier that presented, prevented newcomers, people who did have the gift of music, from sharing their gift with the church because they didn't have the right connections. I frequently visit churches where announcements in the bulletin use the, the kind of language that only insiders in the church would understand. We term this in-speak, a kind of language where those who are in the know know what's being said, but those who aren't in the know are clueless as to what's being expressed. I remember one in a bulletin that said, Thursday's Bible study will be at Joe's house this week. With no time mentioned, no clue who Joe was, no number to call if you might want to attend, nothing that would help a newcomer who would love to study the Bible, the Word of God with other believers, nothing that would help them feel invited or welcomed. Thursday night at Joe's, and everyone who knows Joe gets to come. Everyone else, go to Denny's. You see, rings of those who know and those who don't with no way for those who might want to move further into the fuller of the, the life of the congregation have a prayer of a chance of gaining access. Again, let us repeat. It is not the responsibility of the newcomer or the less connected member to build bridges of access into the fuller life of the congregation. It is the responsibility of those who are already a part to build bridges of access to them, to actively woo them into the inner life of the congregation at every level. It's our job the ones who are well-connected, who have been here for years and years and years, to help those who are less connected, or certainly if they're newcomers, to find their way inward. You follow? 
And this includes caring for one another and, and watching out for one another, especially those we may not know as well as those we do. Now, rings form by familiarity. They form by hanging with the people we mostly hang with all the time. They form when we forget that Christ's intention for the church is that we all get to know one another and care for one another, meaning that we have to work real hard to make sure that we are noticing one another and extending to one another hands of fellowship and service. You know that little thing I did at the beginning to have you go across and greet someone of a different age, someone you haven't greeted today, someone you don't know? It's not simply because I love seeing chaos from up here. Practicing hospitality for Jesus Christ means especially reaching out to the one you don't know, the one who is not like you, and making sure they know from you yourself that not only God but you are so glad they're here and you want them to be a part of what you're about. Rings form by familiarity. They form by hanging with the people we mostly hang with all of the time. They form when we forget that Christ's intention for the church is that we all get to know one another and care for one another meaning that we have to work real hard to make sure that we are noticing one another and extending to one another hands of fellowship and service with intention. You remember that word, intention? It means to act with intent. It means to be willful, to be aware, to make choices based on a well-thought-out plan, strategy, goal, with the intent of making sure that no one falls through the cracks, gets forgotten, gets left behind, especially when we get busy with our regular little groups. Now, does this mean that you have to be buddy-buddy with everyone in the church? That you can really have no close friends? No, not, not a chance. Even Jesus had an inner circle of three friends. And everyone knew it. But it does mean that as you're buddying with some people more than others, you purposefully keep an eye out for the loner, for the newcomer, for the longtime member who you might not know so well, who rarely gets called on or selected for committees, that you spend time with them along with your close friends, that you invite them in to join with the cluster of people that you typically hang with. This is how people get better connected to the body. I'm very close with these three or four over here. I want you to come and be close with them too. It's also how people get cared for in a church. 
If you're a ministry leader, this means making sure that announcements get into the bulletin that let people know what your team or your ministry is doing, that lets them know when your team is meeting, so that if people have thoughts or ideas they'd like to express, they know when the team is meeting, and they are welcome to come and express them. It means that you make sure that when you're forming teams, you're not simply choosing the same people over and over, that with intention you're looking around saying, who haven't we seen on a team for a long time? And you go to them and you invite them. And that in a meeting, you don't just listen to the people who always express their ideas. The leader is careful to look around and say, you know, we haven't heard from you. What's going on in there that you might want to share now? That's how incorporation works. Leaders, when teams are being developed, do not only ask people you normally ask, but ask those you rarely see involved. Often gifts in a church are not used by people because they are waiting for the bridge to be built to them. And never communicate only by one method, lest those who communicate, don't communicate by that method get left out. I think here of electronic communication. When you're aware that about 30% of the people here at Maple Park have no email on record, and then we send out a mass mailing, emailing, to tell people what's going on. Guess how, what percentage of people are clueless as to what's going on? Slides, bulletin announcements, hopefully a newsletter. The same message in multiple ways, well in advance, to let people know what's coming. Not counting just on word of mouth, which only goes so far as the circle in which the word of mouth is spoken. These are just some of the ways of how we can build bridges to the newcomer and the less connected in our midst. But I tell you, nothing does it like a personal invite. And then there's the matter of noticing patterns, patterns. Humans, by nature, are creatures of habit, even when it comes to church. We develop patterns. Some of us come to church at every occasion when we're able. I mean, as a pastor, I notice this. Some people, no matter what's going on, they're there. But other people, some are regular by coming three times a month. Others, a couple times a month. Some you only see a few times a year. Now, without talking about the relative health or unhealth of certain patterns, the point here is, as we gather, we must become aware of the patterns of our fellow members. For when a pattern changes, often it means something is going on in that person's life that might need tending. When someone typically comes to church twice a month and suddenly you see them all of the time, something has changed. And drawing close to them and saying, hey, I'm seeing you more often, that's great. How are things going with your life? Well, you know, that might be the bridge they need to say, well, I lost my job. 
or my kid got arrested and I'm re-examining my priorities. And then you can minister to them. Or when you are used to seeing someone almost every Sunday and suddenly they're here one week and then gone three. And then they come back for one or two weeks and then they're gone for three again. Something's going on. And if no one calls, if no one notices, it could be heard by them that they don't matter. That no one cares, that no one misses them, and they're out the back door. Why? Because the pattern changed, and no one knew them well enough to see it. Noticing patterns is critical in caring for one another, in loving one another. But the only way we can notice a pattern is by learning the pattern, by spending time with the brother or sister that Christ says we should be one with. That Christ says we should love. Again, meaning being connected to them, not just in awareness, but in actions as well. Folks, the Great Commission says we are to make disciples by baptizing them and by teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And Jesus commanded that we love one another. Getting someone to come and sit in a pew and then disregarding them is not loving them. Telling them, oh, I'm so glad you're here, and then turning to go with your close circle of friends, but never asking them to come be more a part of what you're about is not loving them. To love means to touch, to embrace, to cherish, and making sure they know it. Amen? You'll be glad when this sermon series is over, won't you? Not meant to indict, but to bring awareness that discipleship is more than just getting people to come through the doors. It is getting them to be a part of who we are in Jesus Christ. Meaning we tend one another. We care for one another. We take to heart that bridge building is a job that everyone in the church must be about. Now, I began this sermon series by reminding us that it is not the pastor's job to be doing these things for us. His job is to equip us for the ministry Christ intends every minister, uh, every member of his body, to be doing. If you are a member of Christ's body, you are a minister. Let's say it. I am a member of Christ's body. Therefore, oh, say that with more flourish. Therefore, I am a minister. I am here to love my neighbor. Is that not what ministry means? 
I'm here to make sure that the person sitting across the aisle from me knows before they leave here that they are cherished, that they are valued, that they are wanted. Not just a visitor, but the long-term member who is not seen as much. That's what it means to be a minister. If you are a member of Christ's body, you are a minister, and the ministry of caring for one another, of caring for the visitor, of visiting the homebound and the shut-in, of taking the word of invitation into your workaday world belongs to you and everyone here. And for the church to grow healthy and strong, we must be about these ministries that Jesus empowers us to do all of us. Now, today, you've been given a list one more time, the ministries that the Elder Board aims to develop in the coming months. Hopefully, you have been praying over this list for the past few weeks, asking God where and how he wants you to plug in to help develop these ministries. Elders will be waiting at a table in the foyer following the service today to answer any questions you might have, and most importantly, to get your name as you feel called to help. Now I'll tell you, if you're already active in five or six ministries in this place, do not sign up. Unless you give something else up to make space for someone else. One of the reasons the 80-20 rule, that is that 20% do the work and 80% sit. One of the reasons I'm convinced this works is because sometimes the 20% are holding all of the positions. And then they burn out. We need everyone who is a member of the congregation working in the ministries of the congregation. If not leading, then helping the leaders get the ministries done. I will ask for a firm amen here. Amen. amen. Now is the time for these ministries to get planted and flourish at Maple Park. A new pastor is coming, a new season has arrived, and new growth waits. All of us have a part to play. Let's pray. As always, Jesus, we ask you for wisdom and courage. Impress on us that which you would have us do and make us brave to do it. In your name we pray. Amen.